Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroya.io. Excellent. Hello. Welcome to Arroya Office Hours Live. A couple minutes, a couple of reminders before we get started. This hour is your chance to hear from the experts, get answers in real time about data you're seeing with your grow, and share cultivation tips and tricks tricks with other growers in this exciting industry. We thank everybody in advance for not using this time for things like airing policy or industry grievances or asking about Arroyo pricing, although you are always welcome to book a demo with us. My name is Keisha. I'll be your moderator for today's discussion. Mandy is also on the line. Hi, Mandy. Hey, everyone. Super psyched to be here. Yes, and uh, we, we're going to be keeping an eye out for incoming questions from the community. Feel free to type your questions at any time in the chat. If your question is selected, we'll have you unmute yourself and ask away. Anybody who asks a question for the first time live will get an Arroyo hat. We're going to limit that to U.S. residents and first-time question askers only. And then, if, as usual, we're going to be raffling off our limited edition Arroyo t-shirts. So anybody who's on the line today and would like to enter, type your email address in the chat for your chance to win. Seth. How are you doing today? Good. How are you, Keisha? I'm good. And I see we got Leo in the house, also from our client success team. Hi, Leo. Hey. Hi. Oh, great. It's going to be a good time today. So we got a lot of questions from Instagram. We're going to just start there. As usual, the first one comes from Northern Grown Trees. They want to know, why are your sensors more accurate than other sensors on the market? Seth, you want me to start with that? Yeah, I'm going to let Leo jump right in. He's he's kind of He's been there through the development. He's kind of the man. Yeah. This info. You know, I think one of the things that makes our sensors what they are and makes them so great is the science that goes into them and the amount of scrutiny that we actually put into our own sensors. Um, you know, we've been developing sensors for 30 plus years for the science industry, and then we've tried to make them simpler and easier to use and as robust as possible. And we've learned all the ways to not make sensors. We've learned the worst possible ways to make sensors, to be honest. And what we've done is taken everything that we've learned over those 30 years. And of course, all of the scientific background that we have behind the development of these sensors. I'm a scientist myself. Everybody who works on the development team are scientists. And we have some really brilliant people that are working on making the best sensors possible. And, you know, we just have taken all of that experience and made really robust and powerful sensors that survive in really tough conditions. I don't know if Seth, you want to add anything to that? Um, yeah, I mean, we could probably deep dive a little more on some of the technical aspects, but, um, yeah, one thing that, you know, I always like to tell people is, uh, before I ever got into recreational cannabis, I was in agronomic research and, uh, I used Decagon and meter group products sensors back then, you know? So it's like, yep. Hey, this is a sensor that's been tested thousands and thousands of times over hundreds of thousands of times over. And, uh, you know, it, it just works. Yeah. No, I mean, and when you think of our soil moisture sensors, I mean, we are harder on those than anybody else. And we know uh, what are the issues that cause the sensors to work. Um, you know, we've been using these sensors in the scientific field for years to discover some amazing things. And in order to do that, we've got to make really good sensors. Um, but what's great about what we've done is we've made them, you know, easy enough to use and low cost enough that we can use them in more industrial applications like grown cannabis and uh, that's really been the fun thing to see is I've been, been here for my, you know, the 12 years that I've been here. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, some of it comes down to little things like having a static calibration on them for the yep. lifetime, you know, um, 
if you've worked like in the agronomic industry or soil science, you've definitely used plenty of tools that require really constant calibration daily, every use. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and uh, that was probably, I think, one of the key things that, you know, excited me first about using meter, you know, environmental products. And then now working with Arroyo. Um, was just the sensor quality and the fact that I knew I could trust them based on uh, leaving them out in the elements for, yep. you know, yep. years at a time. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So decades of experience developing these sensors just now for the cannabis industry. So awesome. All yeah. the growers get to benefit, right? Yep. And, mm-hmm. and one one thing on top of that is we don't ever stop, you know, we're constantly pushing to make better sensors. I mean, even today we're working on better soil moisture sensors, better atmospheric sensors and environment sensors. So it's, it's, it's not like we just rest on, on where we're at. We want to keep making the best sensors possible. Always innovating. Excellent. Um, our next question came from Nono559. They want to know, do you soak the media before or after applying the sensor? I'm going to let Seth take that one. <laughs> uh, before, you know, best practice is to be patient with your media hydration. If you're using cocoa, give it plenty of time to, to wick up moisture. Same thing with rock, rock wool. The longer, the better. I like to go for an hour minimum, but best practice is hydrate your media, check it, and find out where your baseline is for field capacity. Yeah. It's really a media thing, not a, a sensor thing. The sensor doesn't really care what you do, but it's important that you treat the media properly before you put the sensor in there. Yeah. And one thing to remember too, is like the, these sensors are designed to measure moisture content and EC inside of a soaked media. So if you have a fully, like if you just stick it into dry sand or a cup of water, that's way outside the tolerances that this, you know, device was ever made to measure. Like yep. that's, that's one important thing to remember in order to, you know, actually get soil moisture content or volumetric water content and uh, EC that Spencer is very specialized to be in contact with a moist media all the time yep. along the entirety of the probe. So that's where, you know, sometimes at either end of the spectrum, as far as like, you know, 1% or 99%, it falls outside of, uh, you know, the accuracy goes down, but those are values we never, ever want to see. Right. You know, we're, we're, what our sensor does is be very accurate inside the range that we not only expect to see, but want to target. Yeah. If that makes sense. So if you're, you know, what's, what's the point of having a wide range to it? I'll even put it out there for some of you gearheads. You, you don't buy, go buy a car that just comes with a wide band O2 sensor. <laughs> the factory determines, Hey, we can make a sensor that just ne- measures this part and it'll do it very accurately yeah. inside that range, which is where they want to operate outside of that range means something else is wrong with the car. Yep. Same thing for us. That's exactly right. Awesome. Thank you. And just a reminder to those of you who are on with us today, we want to answer your questions too. So be sure to type those in the chat. Um, but Instagram, they, we got a lot from folks this week. Um, this person, Cruz, wanted to know, where do you insert the sensor in a six by six Grodan cube? Using your uh, sensor installation tool, you're going to insert it in the bottom slot. Yeah. And when it comes to sensor installation, the main thing that you're worried about is the volume of influence of the sensor. So it's not just the needles that you have to worry about. The sensor, the field is actually pushed out beyond the sensor zone. So when you install your sensor into the the rock wool or even in other medias, if you put that sensor up against the edge, that field's actually going to be shooting out beyond the, uh, the, the block itself. So it's important that you actually understand that. And that's why we designed that installation tool is to ensure that when you install the sensor in the specific medias, and there's different slots for different types of materials that you're installing in, 
that we're encompassing that measurement zone within the media. And then the other part is where that media retains water. Um, mm -hmm. Rock wool is going to retain more water in the lower portion, obviously, just because gravity's pulling it down. And so we want to make sure that we're measuring a good average of the moisture for the substrate, not just measuring either the driest zone or the wettest zone. We want to measure in that area that's going to tell you the, the most about the, the material that the plant's in. Yeah. And I mean, that's always something to remember, you know, if you're sticking plants out there and you have one that's way low, yeah, go take your tool out there. If you happen yep. to insert it an inch high or half an inch high, you can expect to see probably several percentage of difference. Yeah. It just because that, uh, the media is not totally, the water saturation is not homogenous. <laughs> that's exactly right. Just like Leo said, we still have gravity and you know, it'll range from up close to the top, maybe down in the thirties. Whereas like, you know, in our target spot down at the bottom, you might be at 65. Yeah. So that's very, very important to have that uh, consistency in your yeah. sensor placement. Yeah. And I've seen a couple of grow operations where they actually had two stacked block, blocks of rock wool. Mm -hmm. And that completely changes how the, yep. the, the rock wool is going to hold water. And so when you do that, you've actually got to completely rethink where you're installing the sensors and make sure you're installing in the right location. Cause Absolutely. You know, like if you've got a four by four by four or a six by six by six and you throw it onto a slab, even though your sensors placement hasn't changed, let's say you just picked it up and moved it on the slab suddenly you're going to see like 35% yep. like in five minutes. And that's just because uh, that water went downward yep. into the slab. I actually have a question. So if I use this sensor tool and I realize my sensors are not in the right place, does just taking it out and popping it back in, like, does that mess up my data? Uh, you know, not any more than getting a bad reading would. Right. Exactly. So the, the big thing there is, you know, find a find a different spot. Don't reuse the same sensor placement holes. Yep. So like if you stab the block, pull it back out, you've got those three holes. Scoot it over a little bit. Yeah. Don't stab it right back in those holes because that sensor's designed to have, you know, even contact along the whole probe. Yeah. So even if it's backed out a little bit and, you know, a quarter or a tenth of that sensor somewhere in there is exposed to air, that's throwing off our readings. Yeah. Now, and I think the most important thing is that you're consistent across the whole operation of how you place the sensors, because if you, you know, you're doing it one way in one plant, then you do it another way in another plant, your readings aren't going to be consistent and, and that's going to completely throw things off. So I think consistency is probably the most important thing out of anything. That way we can compare all of our readings across all the plants. Yep. Yeah. We we're introducing tools to uh, help us minimize our variables in the system. And, uh, let, you know, we want to not add more variables yeah. to that situation while we're doing it. Exactly. Excellent. That's super helpful. Um, we got a question from French Flair, and I think we covered this in a recent episode, but they were wondering how to clean the tarot sensor. I can take that. Yeah. Um, you know, the sensors are pretty robust. Uh, you can use alcohol, you can use most cleaning agents on the sensor, um, there are some really aggressive chemicals that will deteriorate the plastic on the housing. And if you do use that, it's not the end of the world because the sensor is still going to operate just fine. Um, it doesn't really impact the operation of the sensor. It's just going to look blemished um, and not look pretty anymore, but it'll still behave perfectly fine. So really whatever cleaning agents you need to treat, whatever, maybe if you are trying to deal with some IPM issues, whatever you need to do to clean the sensor, most, most cleaning agents should be fine. Yeah, you know, to expand on that, um, I find Dawn dish soap and water is great for removing any salt crust that you have on your probes. Yep. And then usually I could recommend just some sort of uh, either disinfectant or solvent wipe down. Yeah. One thing to avoid is uh, remember that that transmitter 
it's not exactly cheap and that's not <laughs> unitized. So right. although they are waterproof, I don't recommend like a lengthy submersion uh, in a bucket of Sanidate or anything like that. Yeah. You know, just to wipe down is best practice. But one thing you do want to do is clean off those probes, you know, yeah. probably every round because you'll notice salt buildup starting to happen and that will throw your reading off over time. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. So we got another question here for Instagram attendees. So we want to hear from you. Don't forget to type your questions in the chat. Um, Mr. B. Livin wants to know, how do I become a certified installer? Do we do, we do that? Uh, are, we, are we hiring? <laughs> we don't currently have uh, certified installers, but we do have uh, preferred installers and uh, refer referral partners. So definitely, uh, you know, contact us and yeah. we can kind of talk about moving forward on that because depending on where you are, that is something we're happy to have sometimes yeah. is, you know, someone who's internet savvy and, you know, network savvy that yeah. can go help people with installs. So yeah, definitely hit us up. Yeah, for sure. We can't get out to every grow operation and it's great to have local people that can help with installations. Um, we definitely want to make sure that people are that are getting out there know what they, they're doing and it'd be great to work with people. So please just contact us so we can, you know, know where you're at, understand your capabilities and, and help get you trained up so we can, you know, trust you to go out and do these installations. Absolutely. Yeah. But seriously, please hit us up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Calling for partners out there. I love it. Um, Men CJ wrote, they want to know if we can, if they can buy sensors in the, the EU, are we available in the EU? So the Arroyo platform itself isn't currently available in the EU. Um, we do hope in the future that it will be. Uh, and we're working towards developing a system that'll be, uh, certified and able to be able to use in the EU. Um, we do have, obviously a lot of our sensors are being in the e used in the EU by researchers, uh, with some of our other systems. Um, but hopefully we'll have the Arroyo system available at some point in the future for the people, our, our folks in Europe. Yep. It's coming yep. for sure. Uh, just, you know, as a side effect of everything going on in the world right now, we actually are changing some design things that are going to, you know, help that move forward. Yep. Right now, just like every other industry, it's just a waiting game for yeah. us to get parts and everything else. We're, we're trying to keep up with uh, demand, which isn't a bad problem. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> Supply chain madness. It continues. Yep. Yes, it does. Um, anon anonymous poster wrote, mm -hmm. they want to know if, Ar if Arroyo allows data logging in other countries that don't have a license. Maybe, maybe do you guys mind kind of give an overview of like, I know we talked about this a few episodes ago, but like, how do we, um, onboard a new jurisdiction and, and what's involved with that? <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, so typically we want to look at, you know, what your local laws are and make sure that you're following them. Yeah. So, you know, that being said, we have, you know worked with hemp growers in different places. We've, you know, found a lot of ways around that. Um, we are developing, you know, alternative products for vegetable producers and fruit producers that utilize a similar platform, but isn't cannabis specific. Um, there, there are resources, definitely just contact us. We, we <laughs> would love to see how that goes. But like I said, usually we defer to local regulations. So, yeah. and at the moment we are strictly a commercial product. Um, we don't sell for home use applications. So, and, and part of that is our radio frequency. You know, we are specialized in that environment. So yep. over time that may change, but for now, um, just have to follow your local ordinances. 
as long as long as you're a legal producer, we can definitely help you, generally speaking. And if not, you can always ask us and we can tell you the steps you need to take. Usually like, hey, we're going <laughs> to we don't have a, a partner for you to work with. But hey, so here's our minimum bar to hop over. Yeah. To get a Roya. Usually that's going to point you in the right direction to doing things, you know, in a compliant way in your region. Yes, we do have to stay compliant. All of us do. Following the rules. Yes, mm-hmm. important. Um, but things are changing so fast. So that's exciting too. Yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, our attendees are quiet today. That's all right though. I have, an, I have one more question from Instagram um, and then we're going to have to figure something else to talk about, <laughs> but it's all good because Mojave Cannabis J was uh, curious about what are the best spots to put your dehumidifiers to max the potential? Um. I mean, there's a few things to look at there. Number one is how does the airflow move in your room? You want to put the dehumidifier in a place that gets plenty of airflow. We don't want to put it in a corner. So it's just dehumidifying that one corner. Um, Next thing that comes to mind to me, I guess, is ceiling height. Uh, In an ideal world, it'd be really nice to have that dehumidifier outside of the room. So we have total control. A lot of the times that's not the case. So sometimes what we're looking at is like, okay, if we put it in the middle of the room, we're taking out two or three lights. Mm. That's not ideal. So, I mean, in an ideal world, the middle of the room is generally going to be the best spot to put it. The spot that has the most circulation. Yeah. Yeah, Air movement is probably one of the biggest factors there, right? Yeah. I mean, especially when we're talking about an indoor space, you know, unless we move it, it doesn't move. Yeah. So, I mean, and it can be a challenge too, when you're trying to maximize your square footage and you have limited overhead space. So like I said, when you're forced to take out a few lights to put it in, that's when that placement becomes Mm. super critical. And, uh, one thing I would look at doing is walking around the room, try to take some different humidity readings, see if you've got a gradient from one end to the other. So if your airflow is going across the room and one side happens to be way more humid, let's get it over there. Yeah. And then look at, you know, how that air distribution is working. Cause the main thing is we want to homogenize everything in the room, get it as close as possible. Yeah. So yeah, that's my two cents there. Middle of the room is your best bet, but every individual grow room has its own unique challenges for sure. Awesome. Okay. Um, I have one more actually that just got written in here. This person is asking the data for drybacks is based on cocoa. What about rock wool? I think they're uh, looking for maybe some benchmarks and ranges there. Yeah, we and we do have some uh rock wool specific data um, you know, for our customers. But generally speaking, with rock wool, we're looking at running between 40 and 65% is our working mm-hmm. range. If you'd go down below 35%, you're gonna lose field capacity. Um, it's just a physical property of the media. Basically, we've got millions of straws to suck through. And when, when we get bubbles in the middle of a bunch of them, water doesn't move through those parts of the media anymore. And we've got a hydrophobic pocket. Um, so basically, you know, my best move is to plan for 40% as your absolute bottom end. That way, potential mist irrigation doesn't get us below 35. Or, you know, we have a variance in plant size across the table. So some are going to be at 38 while others are at 42. We'll shoot for 40 um, but yeah, generally 40 to 65%. And then basically like, you know, generative steering, we're going to be going for a bigger dry bag just by the virtue of, you know, we're hydrating in the morning and letting it dry back mm-hmm. for 20 plus hours. Whereas with bulking, we're bringing it up to field capacity, but then we're keeping it up just a few percent below until two hours before it lights off. So we just don't have as much time for that to dry back. So we're looking at, you know, more instead of a 25% dry back, more like a 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, that was the last question I got submitted from Instagram today, but, um, you know, attendees, you're still here. If there's anything on your mind, type it in the chat so we can talk about it. Um, Leo and Seth, seeing any interesting things that any uh, grows lately or any fun uh, finds, odd moments? Uh, you know, one thing I've been noticing that's interesting is uh, the market's changing what a lot of growers are doing. Yeah. You know, um, we're, we're moving away from, you know, having nearly as much, uh, I mean, and obviously there are a lot of cannabis specialized products out there, but a lot of growers with falling prices in different places around the country are finding ways to uh, really reduce their growing costs, which I've found very, very interesting lately. And a lot of that just comes down to, you know, um, HVAC's getting better. All mm -hmm. the equipment out there is getting better. We're seeing less and less of a division between, you know, standard horticulture and the cannabis world. So we're seeing a lot more crossover companies that previously were cutting edge, but didn't want to get into cannabis are now. And then also it's attracting a lot of people who just, you know, had the knowledge, had the intelligence and all the talent to make a lot of these things happen. Now they're starting to come over. So we're seeing huge advances in like HVAC strategies, um, man, irrigation design, pretty much every part across the board. And one thing I think is cool is it's not so much, uh, it's building on existing knowledge. Yeah. You know, just like what we've done at Meter and Arroyo, instead of uh, developing something super specialized, we're taking a lot of technology that can be specialized, but already mm -hmm. exists. And it's technology that works very well in other applications. And it's uh, stuff that, like I said, just for um, either legality reasons, because they're commercial products, or for some of these growers, it's a, it's a benchmark thing. Yeah. You know, getting into a facility that's big enough to require this industrial level of uh, technology, basically. Seth, how do you, you know, obviously we talk about always having insights on what's happening in your operation. How does that help reduce those costs? How are we, you know, how are we contributing to that? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when we look at like energy usage and stuff, obviously we don't monitor power usage, but we can look at, um, you know, all your environmental sensors and see, okay, like, we are wasting power. Yeah. This is how much this machinery has to run. So we can start looking at changing set points, yeah. changing machinery in the room, seeing what we can do to really lower and lower those operating costs to make our system more efficient. You know, if we've got a situation where let's say we're running both our humidifier and our dehumidifier <laughs> inside the same hour, like, okay, well, let's start to look at the graph. Let's see what parameters we're actually battling. Yeah. and see how we can get this equipment to play with each other, you know? And sometimes it's as simple as like, Hey, um, I bought this DHU two years ago. It's got this real basic humidistat on it. Well, there's other products out there now that are stepped humidistats that have several set points. You can run programs. It's a little different than just off or on. Yeah. No, I know. And the reason I ask that is always in any, in any industry or any operation, data and insights are so key in understanding what's going on and really knowing, okay, where am I wasting efforts? How can I improve those efforts? And I even think about the tasking features that we have and being able to really yep. optimize our uh, operations. Even when you go back to like just traditional agriculture, they look at ways to reduce cost, simple, simple things like what is your pattern you're taking across a field? And mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I think that we're able to do with tools like this to really help understand what's going on and reduce those costs and be more efficient. Oh, absolutely. And we, you know, one of the big things that I've found is anytime I've got an idea um, and I want to test it, see how it's going to affect this parameter. 
like, yes, I should document it better. Yeah. But I do have that graph to tell me right away if what I did worked, you know, and that's huge. Yeah. Like if I go say, okay, I'm going to throw this 225 quest in there. Will that be enough? I didn't do any calculations. Well, <laughs> I can tell pretty quick, yeah. <laughs> you know, right after I turn it on, give it an hour and we'll see if it's actually working or if it's under. And then, you know, going beyond that, we can start to look at some of the different values we're seeing in the room especially when we have historical data and start to make judgments on like, okay, we need to upgrade dehumidifiers. What kind of capacity do we actually need? Yeah. How much water do we need to pull out of this air at different points in the day? You know, okay. Like looking at absolute humidity, we're okay in the daytime, but you know, our temperature, like let's say ripening temperature drops out. Okay. Well, we, we might need a lot bigger dehu than we thought. Yeah. Cause that's working pretty hard at 64, 65 degrees to really empty all the humidity that we want to out of the air. Yeah. I love that we're talking about this. I live in California and, and it's very often in the news, kind of the struggle of farmers. And obviously there's a lot that is contributing to that. Um, that is beyond anything Arroyo can do, but, but what we can do is just help like bring in more efficiencies to the operation and, and help you save money in some areas that maybe you don't normally you wouldn't normally think about or you can't think about in the daily madness of just trying to get the job done. So, yeah, yeah, so important just to kind of bring it back home at the end of the day. Yeah, we're, we're trying to make growers' lives easier, but it's also just to tighten up that operation so that you can really, really know, you know, where where your dollars are going going, and, and, and uh, keep track of all of that. Yeah. Now, I think one of the really cool things that I've seen as I've come over to the Arroyo side uh, is seeing some of these new people that come in to the system and start using Arroyo for the first time and they're the way they respond within the first few weeks, once they actually start collecting data and seeing what's going on and they just, it's just eye opening for them and they learn so much more about what's happening within the plant in the substrate, which traditionally has been kind of a black box. It's like, okay, what's happening in the media. There's usually yeah. not a whole lot of insight on that. And just even, you know, all the environmental stuff and it's really cool to see that response when people first start using Arroyo and they're like, wow, okay, I've got a lot more information to work with. I've learned learning more and it's helping me, you know, improve my operation and grow better plants. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, speaking of California, Keisha, that's one thing I ran into a lot down there is uh, people who have gotten Arroyo and started to use it and then realize they're using a lot less water yeah. than they used to based off taking runoff samples because they had to use extra water just to get an idea of what was going on let alone, uh, you know, have 24-7 data logging and know what's actually happening inside the root zone. It's so crucial out here because Southern California, I think, is now having to do like drought warnings and stuff. So mm -hmm. water is is everything out here. Well, and I think it's helping people realize sometimes profitability and sustainability go hand in hand. Yeah. Yes. You know, as we compete for resources, they hit a point in expense where it's like, okay, well, no matter how you feel about the situation, if you want your business to survive, you need to be water efficient. Yeah. The nutrients aren't getting any cheaper right now either. <laughs> nope. Oh, I also wanted to chime in. Um, so we actually have some really great real world uh, case studies um, of some of our customers. And uh, so we actually just released a couple of really great stories on um, vertical cannabis and Steezy. Those are the last two that we did, but we have a couple others online already. And you can actually learn about some of the real world examples of the way the system has changed their grows. So it's really it's really illuminating to see um, how much people didn't know about their plants um, until they started 
um, data logging and, uh, and how things have improved since then. So yeah, I encourage everyone to check it out. And we have a lot of good stuff on our Instagram and LinkedIn too. Thank you for that, Mandy. The case studies are fantastic. Definitely check those out and see how Arroy is working for other, other brands out there. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. A, a lot of customers we're having really increased their yields. And then, um, you know, obviously we run into people who are already yielding really great, but it's helped them increase their efficiency in terms of water usage, fertilizer usage, um, labor tracking, you know, you name it. Yeah. Like there's, you, there's so much you can do with our platform and, uh, yeah, just really dial in your business, you know, I and mean, yeah. that's, that's one thing that's real for all business owners, right? We, we have a box and we're either going to spend a lot of money to buy another box or get out of that box or try to start scrambling the pennies inside there yeah, and figure out how to be more efficient. And that's, that's kind of where the industry is going right now. You know, the, the green rush is still happening as more and more States go online, but the initial big green rush in California <laughs> and some of the bigger population centers hasn't, it's, it's kind of passed, you know? Yeah. A lot of farms are set up. There's actually competition in the market. And now, just like every other industry, you've got to be at the cutting edge and keep your cost of production low to survive out there. And not just survive, but be profitable. Yeah. Yeah, we want you guys to thrive. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, right now we're just in a transitional part of the industry or phase in the industry. So, you know, everything came online. We had a huge explosion of everyone trying out so many different ways of, you know, growing weed. Yeah. And figuring out how they were going to do it. And now it's kind of settling to, okay, we've, we finally hit a point where we know what a market value is going to be, what kind of business planning we have to do to hit that cost of production yeah. to stay profitable. And now like years ago, I think a lot of people planned on prices staying in that, you know, 1500, 2000 plus for years to come. And then now we're like, okay, we've established what's probably going to happen. No matter what anyone thought, we know we got to plan for, you know, five, $600 bottom end in some cases, maybe lower, yeah. but, uh, depending on how you plan, that's not necessarily the end of the world. And that's what's, you know, the transition that's happening. No, I mean, you've really, we've got to start running things like a, you know, a tight business. We've got to watch what's happening and analytics and data are key to knowing what's going on and, and helping yourself thrive and survive. Oh yeah. And, and even for people that, you know, it's not a, a bulk production game, you know, we've, they're, the industry, I would say far and wide eventually will move largely to greenhouse production for yeah. bulk production, but we're always going to have, you know, just like the alcohol industry, boutique producers, mm -hmm. people that are really putting, you know, a lot of inputs in, in terms of energy, uh, everything else, their own time, but they're also getting a premium for, for their product. And we also have a lot of customers that are utilizing Arroyo to ensure product consistency at that top shelf level. Yeah. So, you know, no matter what your game is, there's a lot you can benefit. You, you stand to benefit out of using Arroyo, that's for sure. Because, you know, if you're in that top shelf range, that 60 plus dollar eighth, you've got to have consistency. You know, I, I know it's not true in every dispensary, but at least here in Washington, um, ours have quite a bit of variety. And yeah. if I go buy something and it's good, that's good. Cool. Um, if I buy something that was expensive and I thought was going to be good and it's garbage. Yep. I really remember that one and I won't buy it again. <laughs> so, and I think, you know, that's just like anything else everywhere. It all starts with small selection. And then in a few years it's competitive. Yep. You know, that's, that's it. It's a, it's a competitive market out there. A lot of customers same out here. When I go to a dispensary in California, I have a lot of choices. And so I make those choices very, very carefully and, 
once I try the product, I, I have an impression. Mm-hmm. So yeah, got to, got to get dial in that consistency and reliability. That's what customers want. Oh yeah. Or, you know, how bummed are you when you did, you have been buying something for a while and you yeah. go in one day and it's not good. And you're like, well, well, what happened? You know, confusing. <laughs> so, disappointing. Yeah. In, in out there, you know, so many customers, uh, on the consumption side, like it's so new in so many places, widespread consumption and then access to different strains and different products that the consumer knowledge base is just barely starting to catch up. Yeah. You know, people don't know what, what exactly they want. <laughs> they're, they're just trying it out. And right now, like just like in California, in Washington, you'd have to go in every day and buy something. And the product would turn over in the store to different products by the time you right. <laughs> ever got through there, you know? Yep. Totally true. In yeah. here, out here too. Yeah. Although everybody seems to be really into the high THC and the purples apparently, but yeah, as the consumers get more educated and try new things, that's going to change. You yep. got to be ready for that. Oh yeah. And then there's always phases too, you know, right. You know, there's waves of popularity. Yeah. You know, like right now, uh, one that years ago kind of swept the West coast was GMO. Now that's huge on the East coast, you know, whereas like a lot of growers over here. Yeah. It's still around. Yeah. A lot of people don't like to grow it. It's not the most fun to grow, but it's all demand, right? Yeah. (laughs) Someone was very successful marketing it on the East coast. I'm not sure who first, and now everyone's got to have it. And I think we're going to see that same thing happen in different regions. Yeah. Always, you know, from here on out in the cannabis industry, it's, it's like I said, it's very comparable, I think to alcohol. Yeah. When When we look at it that way, you know, I, uh, Oh man, I thought it'd be kind of funny a long time ago to collect uh, six pack holders, you know? Yeah. There's no point. There's (laughs) (laughs) there's so many out there. Like why even try? Right. Well, there really is a lot of parallels to the beer and the, and the, you know, especially the microbrew industry. And you talk Mm -hmm. about the quality and consistency. You have that one bad experience with the microbrew. You're probably not going to go back to it. And it's just going to be the same. It's the same thing with a brand of a cannabis brand. You know, if you have a bad experience with a poor quality product then uh, you know what are the odds you're going to go back to that product (laughs) right exactly and then you know like that's that's the whole other scary part about it right now right like if you want to make more money you've kind of got to own a brand yeah well that's a big risk that's also a big risk right out the gate you know if you open a business start a brand and then your product quality is low you're gonna have to start a new brand in a year or two yep (laughs) just as a result so um yeah it's it's kind of interesting to see the way the industry is going but I wouldn't say it's unexpected. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, we can kind of maybe pull some trends from other industries like alcohol, like you said, but it's so exciting. It's such an exciting time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and just, you know, the the pure variety out there as it gets legal more and more places. And now, like one thing that excites me is, uh, you know, cannabis breeding for the last 30, 40 years has been just, I want to say rudimentary because I don't want to insult anyone out there that's been doing great work, but they just haven't had access to like, the ability to go pop 10,000 seeds yeah. out of a big synthetic cross. We haven't, we haven't had the access, you know, people have been working in very limited spaces with limited plant numbers and limited access to other genetics or even, you know, the information behind those genetics. So from here on out, we're going to move forward into a world where we have a bigger proliferation of different types of strains. And then also those are going to get more and more reliable, better for the grower to produce and I think overall we'll see, you know, part of that market stabilization in the future, but also breeders just like in, uh, let's say tomatoes yeah. or hops are going to be always coming out with that new thing, yep. you know, every year. 
But in a big, a big fact or a big component in breeding and just in any plant breeding is not just the genetics, but it's the environment yep, and actually exactly. knowing the environment. You know, we look at plant breeding, it's you typically look at our genetics and our environment as our two main factors that impact what actually proliferates and how the plant behaves. And we need to understand that. And I think having access to the tools is really opening, going to open up the capabilities for breeding. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to see a lot of, a lot of growth and some really cool things come out now, I think because of all this access to technology that traditional plant breeders have been using. Oh yeah. When I think, uh, one thing that's awesome about, you know, growing legalization everywhere is something, and I know we're indoors, so people have a lot of control, but we'll see the same kind of thing where, you know, plant breeders in general regionally are adapting plants to their own environment. Yeah. That's a huge thing. But now with cannabis, it's like, okay, what do they have access to in that region? What have they been working with? But, um, we're we're just going to see huge advances in quality. I think price stabilization, um, Oh, what else? It was right on the tip of my tongue. Oh, just profitability for the grower. Yeah. yeah. Because like, like for our, our region, for instance, um, you know, Pacific Northwest, we have a lot of crop varieties that they grow in Northern Europe. Yeah. Just because of climatic, climatic similarities. Yeah. Um, but on that same token, you know, I wouldn't take, uh, let's say, a lot of varieties of wheat or even canola that's a huge one yeah. that's fun if you get, it's very latitudinally adapted so like if you take some stuff from here go grow it down in say arizona you're gonna get a plant that's really not profitable yeah it's not gonna behave the same yep exactly so we're gonna see that same kind of behavior coming into cannabis and you know it's gonna get kind of i think crazy for a while as we see a huge competition between greenhouse outdoor and indoor yeah. growers but it will settle down yeah. for sure and i think there's you know on the consumer side, as the consumers get more and more educated, they want, you know, not everyone necessarily wants to pay the most money they can for their product yeah. top shelf, but the, the standard gets higher and that puts pressure on the industry to perform for that. Yeah. And you know, I have a lot of friends that they're really specific that they like, uh, cannabis that is clean, maybe, you know, less chemicals used or whatever. Yeah. And I think, which I'm really excited to see with some of the genetic stuff that comes out, you know, disease resistance, Yep, reducing your need for IPM events and, and your app, you know, reducing what you need to apply. It's going to be really cool to see what happens. But I also think that will help the consumer too. you know, like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I didn't have to apply a bunch of chemicals to this plant or whatever. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a huge thing. You know, I mean, for a lot of growers out there, like there's still plenty of people using sprays to try to combat botrytis and yeah. powdery mildew. And like, while those are can't be, you know, definitely an environmental problem. Um, man, if you're putting out real big nugs and even if you've got a great environment, it still gets pretty humid inside of those nugs. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's always something we're looking at. And one of the big things there is like, we have identified plants that do have mold resistance, yeah. that do have powdery mildew resistance. And now we have, uh, the lab space, the funding, the technology to investigate those and find some of those genetic markers and say, yeah. okay, I'm going to take this, uh, Oh, there's a, a pineapple cut. I used to grow those incredibly mold resistant. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to cross this with something else. I know that probability that I'm going to get a mold resistant offspring is X. Yeah. I need X amount of seeds to search. This. You know, it's breeding with goals besides just, oh, this one was, you know, delicious. Yeah. This one got <laughs> me really high. Um, now, we, now they can go, okay, all, you know, 90% of this cross does those things I want as far as product quality characteristics. Right. But now I'm going to select for the ones that grew in this environment. Yeah. 
and now we don't have to be in a situation where we go, okay, we're, we're approaching a point where people are actually, you know, growing solely for the sake of research. Yeah. You know, forever. That was also another pressure, right? Like, okay, what's more profitable for me? Fill this room with buds I can sell <laughs> or seed out all my plants and try to sell all those seeds. Yeah. You know, so now you take that pressure off and people can actually hunt through as many plants as they need to, to find that one golden plant. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really cool. I'm excited to see so what much innovation. Yep. And it's, it's going to help people that are, you know, um, man, depending on where you're at, the cost of certain resources is really high. Yeah. Whether it be, you know, square footage, space to grow. Uh, you know, we, we talk about people, let's say growing in Northern Canada yeah, that have very expensive electricity bills. Like there's always some limiting factor. So yeah. that's definitely something we're going to see is like, you know, new varieties and strains that address that limiting factor in ways that make it cheaper for those growers to be able to produce. Yeah. Well, as a passionate consumer, I'm living for it. And Arroyo will be here all the way. So we're, we're psyched to support growers through all of these changes that happen in the industry, right? Oh yeah. And I mean, even right now, a lot of our growers are using data they're collecting off of Arroyo to throw out strains. Yeah. You know, they've got an influx of ones and say, we need a way to quantify this besides how it looked this one time we grew it or these two times in the pheno hunt. We can look at the graph and say, okay, I can tell that this plant's going to be very expensive to grow. It uses a lot of water. Yeah. Really a heavy feeder and that I'm not going to be able to run it in the same zones or same room as like some of my other strains. So right now I'm going to make an executive business decision and say, we're not going to grow this one. And that's a game changer. That's huge. It's yeah, it's absolutely huge. You know, the, yeah. the old progression was like, okay, we're going to pheno hunt. We're going to maybe try to get a couple different people to yeah. try. Okay. Like let's all smell these separately and then not stand next to each other. And then we'll write something down and then compare later and try to figure out which one we all liked. Yeah. But we, we didn't have any real like yield data or any, uh, any metrics on, you know, how much it drank or anything other than looking at it yeah. and seeing how wet it stayed and going like, okay. We liked this one best. Yeah. Well, now we can go and say, okay, well, judging by how big this plant got and how big we put it in compared to other plants, that's not going to work with our veg model. Yeah. Um, we look and say, okay, well, we had in our standard media preparation going in at our standard size, this plant got huge. Yeah. Like, okay, it drank way more water. It used way more nutrients. There again, we'll start to compare it and say, all right, if I think this is going to take that much more input, that much more labor, that much more time compared to a different strain. I can get that data in, you know, maybe one or two runs, not five or six. Yeah. Well, not only does it, yeah, you get it in fat, faster, you know, yeah. fewer runs. And I'll probably also help you figure out, okay, I can grow these strains together because they behave fairly similarly. And so we're not going to have any big issues with zone differences, especially because you might, maybe you're limited on how many irrigation zones you can have in a room it really helps identify, okay, we can run these guys together and really optimize their quality together. Right. Um, and, and then figure out where you need to grow, which plants. Oh, absolutely. Or even, you know, if we talk about like mold, all right, if I've got a plant yeah. that's mold resistant, I don't necessarily need to crank my VPD super high right. at the end, of, at the end there. I mean, you're still going to raise it compared to where you were in during stretch, but if you're not paying as much to dehumidify that air in the end, you save money right there. Oh yeah. You know, right off the bat, yeah. if you go, okay, this my room does this, but I got these plants that I don't have to worry about. Yeah. Cool. I'm gonna run those because uh I save quite a bit in heat 
essentially when you're trying to dehumidify, you know? Yep. <laughs> and then, you know, the accessory thing, like if you're down in Southern California right now and you dehumidify, well, then you also run your AC. Yeah. Which does help dehumidify, but then you end up playing with set points and making everything work together. And then you got to start thinking about like, okay, well, I dried it out, but then I paid for it. You know, yeah. the costs start stacking up really quickly, especially if you're just trying to say, okay, we're going to try this and see yeah. if it works. And then not, you know, not really realize any gains out of it. And then, and then it's just frustrating, right? Eventually you chase your tail enough that you, you either give up or call us, I guess. Yeah. We are here for you. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, that's great. Leo and Seth, thank you so much for really kind of focusing the conversation on that. We don't get a chance to really kind of address the specific money saving, the cost saving benefits of, of you know, Arroyo and, and what it can do. So thank you for that. And um, our attendees are a little quiet today, but I think they're just riveted by what you have to say. So we're going to end it a little bit early. Um, thank you, Seth and Leo, so much for a great conversation. Mandy, thank you for being my co-pilot today. Always good to see you. And thanks to all of you for joining us for Arroyo Office Hours Live this week. If you have any questions about Arroyo, how it can used to improve your cultivation production process or any other topic you'd like us to cover in a future session, please post it in the chat. Shoot us an email at support.arroya at metergroup.com or send us a DM on Instagram. We definitely want to hear from you. We record every session. We'll email everyone in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It'll also live on the Arroya YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, please do spread the word. We'll look forward to seeing you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io.